SMQBs, episode 51. This is a shorter and sweeter episode. We cover the NFL coaching carousel. Uh, all sorts of craziness happening in the NFL this week, even though it's supposed to be the week, quote, off, unquote. Uh, also, NBA trade deadline. Uh, another a little bit more on the NFL with our punchable face of the week. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Mr. Snyder, again. And then a Ted Lasso to make us feel all warm and cuddly uh, before we log off. Hey, uh, check it out. Listen to it. We're going to have a Super Bowl preview later in the week. So a bonus episode this week. Have fun with this one. Thanks for listening. SMQBs, this is episode 51. It's going to be short and sweet tonight, I think. Who knows? But let's start with number 51. This might be a dead giveaway. He was born in Walnut Creek, California. He last... <laughs> he last appeared for his professional team in 2009. He went 303 wins, 166 losses, a 3.29 ERA, 4,875 strikeouts, including one birdie. I believe. Randy Johnson. Yes. Uh, 10 time All Star. 2001 World Series champ, five-time Cy Young Award winner, World Series MVP, triple crown in 2002, MLB wins leader in 02, four-time ERA leader, nine-time strikeout leader, a perfect game on May 18, 2004, which this guy was at uh, in Atlanta against the Braves. He had a no-hitter on June 2nd, 1990, and uh, that's a pretty impressive career. And who did he start his career with? Who did he start his career with? I think he started yes. with the Expos. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. The Montreal Expos. Yeah, he uh, he was with a bunch of teams. Uh, and he finished, speaking of Matt Sanguinetti, uh, with the San Francisco Giants. Oh, I didn't remember that. So that's What like an unbelievable many, career, though. 19 years? Uh, I think it was... Um, 22 seasons. That's a long for a pitcher, especially of that size. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unbelievable. What, what, what the D-backs did in that series with just going Johnson Schilling, Johnson Schilling. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Really unbelievable. Well, the big unit number 51, episode 51 for us. All right. Well, listen, um, obviously for our listeners who are out there, Rooster didn't pipe in right away by doing his pre-podcast uh, research, trying to, to game the system here. Uh, so, you know, he's not here. We have Milk is missing too. Um, it's it's a little bit of a crazy week, a lot of travel going on. Good news is there may be some bonus episodes coming. Uh, we're looking at a Super Bowl preview show that will be coming out before the Super Bowl because it would be weird for the preview show to come out after. 
and then a wrap up of the Super Bowl. So we'll have the whole band together soon enough. And uh, but for now, you're stuck with House Pope and yours truly, Bison, for tonight. House, where are we going with things tonight? What's going on? You know, it used to be like those couple weeks between the NFC and AFC championship games and the Super Bowl were just like there was nothing. It was just this wasteland, this barren wasteland of nothing going on. And then this year, well, the NFL decided to get in the way. Pro Bowl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the Pro oh, Bowl. Yeah, the, the Pro Bowl was the least interesting thing in the NFL Come this on. week. Come on. It was a great game. What did they do? They hermetically sealed these guys and told them that they couldn't touch one another? It was, it was, it was the weirdest thing. It was like two-hand touch, wasn't it? It was the weirdest thing. Most Whoops. guys opted out to playing anyway who were selected. Yeah. But in any hmm. case, uh, well – Everybody knows by the time they've heard this podcast, they know about the Brian Flores lawsuit. They know about the coaching carousel. We're going to break a little bit of that down right now. But let me start by asking you guys, quick hitter, will Brian Flores coach again in the NFL? Yes. Yes. uh, About how long will it be until he does? After the settlement. Well, I think soon. I think he'll be a coach, uh, maybe not a head coach, but I think he'll be a coach in the NFL next year. And I'll tell you, one one person who already came out and said he deserved to be on a coaching staff was um, uh, Ron Rivera. So, you know, look at Washington as a possible landing spot for him uh, this year if if he decides to coach. Now, his lawyers may tell him not to and and he may decide that he wants a year off anyway at this point, but um, I think he'll I think he'll have an opportunity. Much to the uh, uh, contrary, I should say, to what everybody thought immediately upon he- hearing of the lawsuit. Well, you're talking head coach, right, House? Yeah, I was saying head coach. I mean, I still think he'll be a head coach again. He claims that he is not taking. He was not going to take the lawsuit down if he did get one of the remaining openings. And at the time he filed the lawsuit, there was still basically the Vikings, Saints, Dolphins, Texans remaining. Um, He said that he would not have taken it down. And of course, you know, he sued the NFL. So any NFL owner that puts him on the payroll as an assistant or head coach has got a suing plaintiff as an employee. I mean, <laughs> makes for some makes for some interesting Thanksgiving conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah. But look, interesting. I, I don't know if you guys, you know, read the complaint. Um, you know, we're lawyers from from a legal perspective. Um, I think it's a real uphill battle. He filed it as a class action. No one. There are no other plaintiffs who have joined in on the case yet. There was a lot of kitchen sink facts that were thrown in there that had nothing to do with his claims. Um, Just a long, ugly history of at least circumstantial evidence of racism, if not um, explicit racism. But I think the centerpiece evidence to the whole case is this crazy Bill Belichick story (laughs) that Bill Belichick 
was intending to text Brian Dable to say, hey, Brian, uh, I heard you really are looking good and that the Giants really want you. And of course, he was actually in a text conversation with Brian Flores. And he said, well, uh, let's hope, you know, I, things are we'll see how it goes. But I'm, I'm hopeful. He said, no, I've already talked to them. Sounds like you're the guy. At which point Flores thought, this is weird. Let me just ask you, are you talking to the right Brian? And he said, oh, shit, Belichick. Hey, he was uh, like, hey, I can personally attest that shit happens. Brian's <laughs> getting mixed up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, of course the Giants say, well, yeah, I mean, look, we don't complete the process until everyone's interviewed. And even had we had a good interview with Dable, we don't decide till we decide. And whatever Bill Belichick has to say on it isn't decisive on it. So, I mean, what do you guys think of that as being the central piece of evidence to Flores's whole case? Well, that and the, and the uh, Broncos interview in 2019, where he alleges that Elway basically came in after drinking all night and they didn't give him the time of day, basically, and it was just in and out. And the Broncos pushed back hard on that. Yeah. Well, here's, I mean, here's the thing, right? I mean, we, we know this, as, again, as, as lawyers, and, you know, they have to only plead and allege so much in the complaint, right, in this document, um, because assuming they can get past uh, what, you know, what most of our listeners will know, because most of our listeners are lawyers, uh, I think. But but if you're not, you've got to get past the motion practice before you can get into discovery. So whether the Belichick text message, you know, do you want to say that 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 he's going to win his case based on a text message? No, he's not going to win his case based on that. But what it may be is it may be sufficient along with the other issues that he pled. Um, it may be sufficient to get him to where he can have uh, subpoena power in the form of a lawsuit where he can uh, use discovery to request documents, including emails that the Buffalo bills were sending internally text messages that the general manager and owner and president and head coach, or I'm sorry, the, uh, the GM, I said, could be sending at the Buffalo Bills um, what was going on at, at the NFL. And then if he gets to take depositions, right? So that that Belichick text message at the end of the day could very well turn out to be a very small part of why this case is important or ultimately successful, but it certainly is going to be a big part of getting his foot in the door. It seems like. Yeah, I, I think that Flores, I give him a lot of credit for the courage to file this. And as he said, he realizes that for his personal life and, and getting a job, this may, he may never be able to get a job, but the issues were too important to him because this has been going on for a long time. He might get capped literally. Yeah, he might get Colin capped on this, um, but I really give him credit. And I'll tell you, um, notwithstanding the legal issues and having a plaintiff that you're paying on your payroll, it would be one hell of a free agent recruiting job. Because if you saw the social media response on Twitter, 
it was overwhelming. All these players were coming out saying, we, it, we all know what you're saying is true. This has been going on for the longest time and we have your back. And not just now, black players. And not just black players. The unfortunate part is, and you can see how hard it is to be a plaintiff in these kinds of big game-changing lawsuits. There haven't been many other coaches that have come forward. In fact, one of the only ones that came forward was Hugh Jackson, uh, and he got his legs cut out from him under him because he accused Jimmy Haslam and the Browns of paying him exorbitant sums of money for each and every loss. And, um, you know, boy, Jimmy Haslam came out with a statement that really brutalized Hugh Jackson uh, because, for one thing, as soon as Hugh Jackson left, the team started winning. Uh, during that same season where Hugh Jackson was accusing Haslam and the Browns of paying to tank. So we'll see if Hugh Jackson becomes a part of that, but I don't see a lot of coaches joining in on this if they want to still be part of that coaching fraternity or even have a chance of it in the NFL. I think they're going to play wait and see. Yeah. Of course, of course, you know, the, the NFL gets hit with this lawsuit and then what do they, what do they continue to do? Right. But hire white guy after white guy after white guy after white guy after white guy to fill head coaching positions. And then finally, they hire somebody who identifies as multiracial. And finally, Lovey Smith, the African-American coach, gets gets an opportunity with with a team, by the way, that uh, I'm not sure anybody wants to be a part of right now. Um, so, I mean, you know, NFL stays true to form and completely on brand in their hiring while this is all going on. Guys, I, I, I got to ask you, I mean, I, I think we're pretty up on our NFL. I, I take it before this coaching carousel came around, you had heard of Byron Leftwich. Yes, of course. Right. And I take it you had heard of Eric Bieniemy. Yes, you bet. Yeah. Now, I really put your hand on the Bible. Had you heard of Matt Eberfluss? Is that a is that a rare bird that you would find in the British Virgin Islands that you were photographing, House? It, I think and, I have a picture and, of you looking for him. Eberfluss? Eberfluss? <laughs> yeah, for a lucid Eberfluss. I mean, had you heard of Kevin O'Connell? I mean, these ga- these names, and you know, when when Troy Aikman and all these guys are color commentating on these games. They love talking about D'Amico Ryans and Eric Bien. They love talking about Kellen Moore and Dan Quinn. You've heard of the assistant coaches. You know who is really a hot commodity. Wait a minute. All right, wait a minute. Kevin O'Connell got a job? Kevin O'Connell. That's Don't tell me he was at Redskins. Another, yes, he was. He was on that <laughs> same staff. <laughs> he was on the same staff. Oh my God. I was like, wait a minute, Kevin O'Connell. I know the same is. one with McVeigh and yes, Shanahan and LaFleur and, and Shanahan. Yeah. I, I think the only look, I think what Brian Dable has done with Josh Allen speaks for itself. I think the fact that Doug Peterson has won a Super Bowl gives him a pretty good resume. These guys, uh, Josh McDaniels has been in the mix before, and he's been a head coach before. Matt Eberfluss, Nathaniel Hackett, Kevin O'Connell, Mike McDaniel, those four in particular 
shit, they sure better have some success in the NFL because I got to figure out what the hell is going on with Leftwich and and Bienemy. Now there was a story that Leftwich had the Jags job, but he demanded a different GM, and that killed him. But I I don't understand the Bienemy story, and I I just don't get it. I mean, they're all they're all looking for the next McVeigh or Zach Taylor. You know, they're looking for the next young. Uh, offensive defensive coordinator who they can pick up before they get real popular. No, apparently the the next young white offensive coordinator. Well, I didn't say that, but yes, that's goes without saying, unfortunately. So you know, um, the NFL wanted to take a break for two weeks, and well, we... but, but wait, but before we before we leave that story though, there's another part of it that I think is really interesting that could be um, uh, really devastating to one owner. And that's Stephen Ross. The allegations about paying to lose games, you know, that's the kind of thing that when it comes out, um, the owners don't like that. The other owners don't like that because that goes to the integrity of the game. Cheating. Uh, and, and I'm not, and I'm, and don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's more important than the hiring, uh, the the racism and hiring that we're seeing. It's not. What I'm saying is of those 32 uh, sociopath owners who are in there, when you start talking about the integrity of the game, that's where their ears perk up, uh, rightly or wrongly. And those allegations uh, are part of this lawsuit that Flores brought. The discovery on that is going to be fascinating. You mess with the integrity of the game and you try and cheat your co-owners out of things, boy, those guys will have the knives out in the boardroom. Uh, I think Ross has some major exposure. And I'll tell you, I, I asked some buddies in Miami when they fired Flores, what the heck is going on? And the response was, this franchise will never be anything with Ross as the owner. I know a little bit about how that feels, but that was the sentiment that came out uh, more than once in Miami was that this guy is a meddler and he's, he's bad news. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious to sort of watch how that part of the story unfolds too. Well, isn't there an independent eyewitness to the conversation between, uh, the dolphins and Tua as far as incentive to throw games when he first came on? Yeah. Yeah. I think I mean, that's, that's what's been important. Yeah. And, and, and this whole thing about him, meeting with Brady, um, you know, and the potential tampering issue when, you know, Brady was a free agent or before Brady was a free agent, you know, there was that allegation. He doesn't name Brady by name, but I think there was that piece on there as well before Brady was deciding where he was going to go. That kind of discovery would be pretty explosive as it relates to Ross because he was tampering with the rules, tampering with the game. Yeah. So that, you know, Flores really, he really, uh, he dropped some napalm on the league and, and, uh, and we'll see, we'll see who gets, who gets uh, burned on it. Well, you're going to talk about it coming up bison, but uh, Roger Goodell has got, he's got a big problem. It's going to be interesting to see how he gets out of this one. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll circle back on that towards, uh, towards the end of the, of the show here today. Uh, but you're right. I mean, there's, there is a lot of uh, the NFL has got a shit storm right now facing it. Well, in the middle of that, all of that, while that was going on, 
that wasn't the only drama. As we previewed last week on our last week's pod, uh, Milk ran down for us the story that uh, in the middle of conference championship weekend, Schefter and others from ESPN, along with CBS Sports, broke the story that Brady was retiring. And uh, there was some question as to whether or not they jumped the gun, et cetera, et cetera. But this week, uh, it came out formally. Tom Brady, uh, on Instagram, of all places, announced his retirement with an effusive thanks to Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers organization, the Tampa Bay players, and not a word about the Patriots, the Patriots fans, the Patriots teammates. He caught a lot of heat, particularly from Boston media, but national media as well, and subsequently issued a second Twitter that said, I want to thank all my favorite, like all my former fans and teammates and coaches and owners. Um, I will say to, to Belichick and Robert Kraft's credit, they took the high road. They were classy and said all the appropriate things about Brady. But boy, man. That is not the masterclass as to how to announce your retirement. Um, but I, we, we, I think we should probably hear from Milk on this, right? Yeah, no. we have a car. We have a correspondent who uh, has who wants to share his feelings about the Brady retirement. Can we cue that up? Yeah, let's let's see here. Oh, um, sorry, I, uh, I didn't see you guys there. Um, what, uh, what's up? I, uh, yeah, I think you, uh, I think you guys asked me to chime in on Tom Brady. Uh, I'm totally over it, by the way. I, whatever, you know, two years or, or, uh, you know, who cares? He's gone now. Um... I hate goodbyes. Um, this has been a rough week, and I'm getting through it. Uh, some days are better than others. You know, do I get out of bed every morning? No, I don't. Um, have I shaved in a while? No, I haven't shaved in a while. Uh, it was the best two years of my life, okay? If you, if you must know. It was, uh, it was Camelot. It was a fairy tale. Tom Brady was my quarterback, and I saw him throw a Lombardi trophy off of his boat onto another boat right down the street from where I live. Doesn't get better than that. I'm um, going to miss him. And uh, what can I say? He brought us a Super Bowl. He reinvigorated, re-energized this franchise that was failing. It was dying. Uh, Jameis Winston had taken the life out of us, 14 losing seasons, and he turned us into a winner. We won 29 games, 29 games in two years. Uh, we used to average about 10 in two years. Um, hopefully he set us on a winning pathway. I'm hearing now rumors, Kyle and Murray maybe. I don't know. We'll see. But um, we're not going to go back. We can't go back to losing. Um, I can't handle it. 
And um, what can I say? We got a Super Bowl from him. Tom Brady, thank you for everything. Uh, and uh, good luck in, in your um, new endeavors. I'm going to get myself a Brady brand shirt uh, right when, when I get done with this video. Uh, last thing I'll say is this. The Pro Bowl sucks. And they need to do something with that. I can't watch linemen not block each other anymore. And uh, that's absolutely pitiful. Um, but the Kyler Murray to Mike Evans TD, if you've seen the highlights, maybe you'll see more of those. We'll see. All right. Um, good seeing you guys. Sorry I couldn't make it today. And um, my, if I have to pick a Super Bowl winner now, I'm taking the Rams, but mainly because they beat the Bucks, So they have to win the Super Bowl. Um and uh but joe burrow might get his first this year keep a keep a lookout milk out i'll uh just gonna go back to some video watching on tv no big deal well I, i'm guessing that, that uh i think probably his kids probably handled that better than he did he, he seemed uh he seemed pretty beat up there i mean it's that's 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 woof, that's pathetic i think I think that's got to make our TikTok account because oh, our it's pod- got to be a milk talk. <laughs> our podcast listeners are not going to see him crying to Tom Brady videos with tears yeah. running down his face in the tissue. That was emotional. Like a jilted lover. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was like, I haven't seen a man cry like that since Kim left Kanye. That was, that was just outright sad. Just a blubbering pool of milk. So oh, pathetic. Geez. Oh, man, man yeah. up. Man, two percent uh, well. milk. That was like two percent milk. <laughs> That's funny. That was gluten free, fat free. Poor guy. But uh, that wasn't the last of the NFL news because Bison, you are two, no longer nameless. Two two twenty two. It was the uh, big announcement of the Washington Football Team, and. Drum roll for the excitement and wah, wah, wah. <laughs> the commanders is the name. And that's not even why it was what was so bad about it. Look, as far as the name goes, this was a no win situation, right? Any name other than Redskins was not going to be interesting. It wasn't going to be fun. It wasn't going to be good. It wasn't going to be embraced. It is what it is. But man, they shit the bed on the rollout again. I mean, they they have three guys sitting in a freezing cold FedEx Field Stadium being interviewed uh, about it, and they just literally Craig Melvin says, "Well, to to the president Jason Wright says, well, what's the name going to be?" And Jason Wright looks at Doug Williams and says, "Doug, you tell him," and he puts his arm around Jonathan Allen and says. We are the commanders. That was it. No flyover, <laughs> no fireworks, no hype video, no, no. I mean, you're not in front of the Capitol. You're in Washington, D.C., and you, you go, you're literally, by the way, you're, the team is trying to get out of Landover, Maryland, and back into the district to build a new stadium. And what do they do? They do this announcement on this freezing cold, empty stadium. I mean, to be fair, there were more people in the stadium than there were during the last couple games of the season for this announcement. <laughs> I was going to point that out. I, I mean, it was just like there's no creativity around this announcement. Now, 
as far as the name, it's not that bad. I mean, really, when you look at some of these names, I don't know. What's it? Is it really that bad? I don't know. The thing that struck me was when they finally did release the sort of hype video later in the day. And they were showing the Joe Gibbs Super Bowls. Uh, it really felt like that era was gone. You know, it didn't feel like that when they dropped Redskins from the name. But now with the new name, it really feels like that that there's a cut from that era of this team. And uh, it, it I don't know. They talk about legacy, but it doesn't feel that way. And, you know, maybe that's not a bad thing. Um, Washington has been chasing the ghost of Joe Gibbs and Joe Theismann, Doug Williams, Mark Rippon, Art Monk, Gary Clark, Rigo, you know, Dexter, uh, Daryl Green, all these guys. It's It's been in the psyche for so long. They've been trying to replicate it. Maybe this is what the organization needs is just a clean break from that past and, and really try and, and start over. But um, I don't know. I mean, what, what do you guys think? I mean, you guys might as well be an expansion franchise at this point. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Uh, listen, sorry, this is lipstick on a pig because your owner is your owner. I mean, yeah. I I think you could have named them the Red Hogs. You could have named them the Red Wolves. You could have named them the Admirals. You could have named – it wouldn't matter. This team – I, I think Ron Rivera is a plus. I think Terry McLaren is a plus. I think there are Antonio Gibson, the whole defensive line. There are things that are going the right direction, but at the end of the day, free agent signings, other coaching signings, marketing, there are major decisions that happen at the top and you have a fuck nut at the top. And uh, I think, you know, exhibit A is the rollout. Uh, by the way, it, you mentioned that they're trying to get back in the district. Does that include Snyder himself? Oh, what do you mean? Does he want to be in the district? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I wasn't oh, sure yeah. if he if he didn't really care and was just highest bidder. Well, well, I think yeah, I think that's right. I mean, look, the, the one thing about Dan Snyder is that he did grow up as a fan of the team, and and RFK is a legendary venue period in the history of the NFL, not just in the history of Washington, right? Some of the games there, the way the stadium would literally bounce because of how it was constructed. Um, I mean, I think Snyder would like to be there, but but whatever deal he does is going to be like a SoFi stadium deal where he's going to have an opportunity to develop parcels and parcels of land around it. So if that ends up being Loudoun County, Virginia, which which actually might be where the team ends up, you know, that's what he'll take. I think so. He wants to be in DC, but yeah, he's going to go to the highest bidder. I mean, do you even have that kind of space in DC to build that kind of stadium? No, I mean the old RFK site is is the is the natural space, but it's so tied up in federal. Uh, it, it's it's owned by the federal government at this time, and so it's uh, there's a lot of unique challenges to redeveloping that site. But what do you so, think of the name? You know, I mocked it. Um, they, they didn't have a whole lot of choices. I think, what was it? Uh, I was a fan of the red hogs because wasn't that the, um, black fighter unit, uh, in world war two, that was, uh, like real famous or whatever. I mean, I, that I was, thought that, I think that was the red wolves or the red tails, red, red, tails. red tails, red tails. That's what it was. Right. I thought tails. that would have been, I thought that yeah. would have been cool. 
Yeah. Commanders. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, it's like Russell Crowe, Master and Commander. It's kind of boring. And you yeah. already have yeah. a, a German Shepherd. Is that your mascot? Because you got Commander at uh, at the White House right now, Biden's dog. Yeah, well, maybe maybe he'll get an honorary uh, captainship. But I, I will say that if um, if Russell Wilson's the quarterback next season, that'll make people feel a whole lot better about the name, right? Or if Aaron Rodgers is here as a quarterback, um, you know, winning cures a lot of things. And and if they can put together a winning team, then you'll see a lot of Commanders gear blown off the shelves in the stores. Or or Kyler Murray. Or Kyler. Right. Watch this space. What's going on there? Yeah, that's right. The the commanders were the number one selling Jersey in the NFL that it is popular amongst the fan base. They, they beat out, you know, all the popular jerseys, Brady, everything else. So from a marketing standpoint, it sounds like they succeeded in lining Snyder's pockets some more. So congratulations on your game. Right. And this won't be the last we hear of Dan Snyder tonight. So more Good. more on him to come. But let's Shocking. let's shift gears for a second. Um, Pope, it's we're getting close to the NBA trade deadline. What's going on in the NBA? Well, Thursday afternoon's trade deadline, and so you know we're less than forty eight out. Um, I just get a feeling this year there's just not going to be a whole lot of big big movement. Um, that's going to decide who's going to win the championship. Uh, you know, one of the teams that we were looking at was the Lakers. Are they, they're struck, stuck in mediocrity right now. They're two back. Uh, they're two under 500. They're um, the, la- the ninth seed play-in tournament in the West. Uh, could they move Westbrook? I mean, he's a cancer, you know, as usual. Uh, but, you know, his contract's untradeable. Uh, it looks like they're going to stand pat and they're probably going to go out in the first or second round at best. Um, Toby's got it on his, on his virtual background. I'll let him address it maybe more in a minute, but I think the biggest question is, does Ben Simmons get moved? And if he does is the only place that uh, uh, he could land be with uh, the nets and uh, basically a straight up trade with uh, him for uh, the beard, um, James Harden. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that Maury's going to keep his powder dry until the summer. And, you know, I think Philly's content with what they have now. Um, the East seems like it's really up for grabs. Uh, not, not a power team in the East this year. So, you know, easily could be Philly even without a major trade. Um, you know, my Mavs, that's a, another question mark. They're playing really good ball post-COVID, 14-5. and five. They're one of the best defenses now in the NBA. Uh, Jalen Brunson has been huge. Uh, they survived lo- losing uh, uh, Luca. When I say post-COVID, I mean Luca had COVID and was out for a while. Uh, Brunson was huge in them keeping you know their head above water, and he and Luca have really clicked. Uh, but he's an unrestricted free agent into the year. He's one point eight million dollars. What a value! Uh, the Mavs you know, they could get nothing if they don't move him, but there's not a whole lot of interest. It doesn't appear in moving him from Cuban standpoint. Um, Dorian Finney Smith, who's a, a very good serviceable, you know, six man kind of guy. He's also got uh, his contract expiring. And so I don't, I don't see the Mavs doing anything. If they do something, it's, it's window dressing. It's nothing big. Uh, 
you know, we may have seen the the biggest move already uh, between the Pacers and the Kings. Um, Dematis uh, uh, Sabonis, two-time All-Star power forward, going to the Kings in return for, and, and, you know, Toby was thinking this was a great trade, and I think everything I've heard so far, the, the Pacers made out like bandits because they got, Tyrese Halliburton, who is his second year and he's definitely a cornerstone for a franchise and Buddy Heald kind of as, as a throw in. Uh, and then the other big trade, you know, was the end of the Dame and CJ McCallum backcourt in Portland, which led him to playoffs every year since 2013. Never could get over the top. Uh, and Portland's basically just going to um, totally restructure around Dame. They're going to have a lot of money to move uh, for trade picks. Coming up, and Pelicans, you know, whenever Zion comes back, now he's got McCallum, and you know, but they gave away a bunch of spare parts and a future first rounder that's protected. So I think they're going to be okay. But honestly, I just, you know, sometimes in the the trade deadline, it's there's big, big moves. I just don't see that happening this year, guys. There's a couple things about the trade deadline that are that are interesting too. First of all, the, the NBA is unlike any other sport in the way that trades happen and the way teams trade contracts to get out of contracts or to acquire expiring contracts to give them flexibility the next year. I mean, they really are, you know, Bill Simmons always talks about them as assets. And the players and the contracts they have really are assets. You can have a you can make a trade for a less than interesting player, um, but it can be a, a good positive contract for the team and it's an asset. And, and the NBA is different like that. The other thing that makes the NBA trade deadline strange is then you have all the buyouts that can happen later. After the trade deadline, the construction of teams is not even close to being over because then you have guys who just say, yeah, I'm done playing here right? Buy me out and I want to be a free agent or whatever. And so it's, it's very strange uh, sort of the way these teams get put together halfway through an NBA season. I mean, I I don't know that right now we don't know who the most important player could be on the team that wins the championship, right? I mean, as we sit here today, we may not know the most important player on a team that wins the NBA championship at the end of the season. Uh, it's just it's just a weird dynamic. It is unbelievable how dominoes can fall in the NBA. Um, you know, the Sixers bowed out in really ugly style against Atlanta Hawks last year. And at the end, literally in, you know, the emotional moment of press conference. Doc Rivers says, I don't know if he can be our, Ben Simmons can be our point guard. And, and, and Joel Embiid says, you know, a throwaway remark about his game. And Simmons took his bottle like a baby and went home and never returned to the Sixers. He was so hurt by the post-game comments that he vowed never to play for that team. And the domino that toppled there resulted in the Sixers finding their way as a team uh, where the ball completely moves entirely through Joel Embiid, 
where they rely on Matisse Thibel to come in and play defense at critical moments of a game rather than Ben Simmons playing defense all game. And the biggest development is second year player Tyrese Maxey, who's become a bona fide star. I mean, he, in a game about a week and a half ago, went toe to toe with John Morant in a overtime win against the Memphis Grizzlies. And he is their point guard now. And let me tell you, the city, the fans would burn the city down if they made Tyrese Maxey part of a trade. Well, you know, the the addition by subtraction is an interesting, uh, um, you know, storyline in sports. And it reminds me of one other one when the uh, Washington Nationals got rid of Bryce Harper and won the World Series the next year. You you get rid of of a sour, you know, bad attitude player, ship them off. Oh. Oh, sorry, House. Oh, wait, is that is that, <laughs> I, I, is that you, you could never, ever in a million years compare Bryce Harper, who you no, no, no. said I, many times is a great teammate to Ben Simmons. Yeah. But, but listen, um, all season long we've said let's just take anything for Ben Simmons. But to your point, Bison, in the NBA you got to match contracts. You got to trade contract for tr- contract. And you can't just trade Ben Simmons for Buddy Heald or Ben. You got to add up money. And one of the only remaining players that matches up in money is James Harden. They've lost, I think, seven or eight in a row. They're reeling without KD, who's hurt. Uh, Kyrie can only play away games. That season is slipping away from them. And then they'd have Harden next year with the decision, are they going to re-up a guy who's 33, 34 years old for a huge contract? So should they get value now? Could they fleece the Sixers for Simmons, a first rounder, maybe somebody like now they're talking about maybe requiring that Seth Curry be included or somebody like that who's, you know, a good shooter. So it's going to be really interesting. KD saying, listen, I'm going to come back and I want Harden here. So you got to keep him happy. The GM says he's not moving him. But that's what GMs do. It's going to be really, really interesting. By the time we produce this, this trade could happen. I think the Sixers fans would be happy just to get rid of Simmons, but if they don't, I think we're okay with this team this year. Like like Pope said really correctly about the East, it's anyone's game in the East. It's You just got to get past Giannis, and otherwise you're in good shape. And by the way, the, the, the biggest news of the trade deadline might be a, a player who will not be traded for sure, we can say right now. Uh, and that was the news that came out about an hour or so ago about Bradley Beal. Uh, Bradley Beal, who everyone was uh, looking at as a possible big name that would get traded possibly to Philadelphia uh, for Simmons. It was announced that he's going to have season-ending wrist surgery. And, folks, he is not going anywhere. The implications for this are are, are pretty big. He's got one more year left with a $35 million uh, contract in Washington. And then what happens to him? He's not played well this year. Is he a uh, top 20 or 25 player in the NBA who you signed to a, what do they call super max $245 million contract? He's been around forever, but he is still pretty young. He's only, he's, he's getting close to 29. Uh, I mean, he was super young when he got to Washington, but he hasn't looked great this year. Now he's out. And Washington's left, you know, holding on to him. Uh, a lot of people thought that they would they would trade him and rebuild. And now that's sort of off the off the table for at least this year. We'll hopefully have more to talk about next week on this piece. 
Yeah. Yeah. Now, see, there you go. We can talk NBA. I guess that's why we didn't have milk on the show tonight. <laughs> He's studying. So that brings us to uh, Punchable Face of the Week. Come on, man. And I'm going to stick with it. And this is going to be, <laughs> this is going to be a repeat punchable face of the week. More than that. I think like it might be a third time of three feet. <laughs> I don't even know. I've lost count. I'm going to do a tally. But in the week that after two years, you've had to build up towards your new name, Dan Snyder, your reward is you are the punchable face of the week. Because the yes. day, I don't even know if it was the same day or the next day. Next day. I think it was the next day, next day. after. So 2222 might have been the second most important day in the history of the of the franchise, uh, at least this year. Because on 2322, the United States Congress convened, I think what they called a roundtable uh, discussion about the toxic workplace environment in Washington as anybody who's followed uh, the story at all understands, there were all sorts of allegations. They came largely from a couple of Washington Post reports, uh, some former employees of the of the Washington franchise that came out and talked about a hostile workplace environment. There were stories about um, uh, video cuts made during the the Washington cheerleader swimsuit. Uh, uh, photo sessions of, of the girls changing out of their bikinis and people capturing it on video and then being uh, spliced together for the owner's benefit. And all these sort of allegations were out there. The Washington Post ran the story about a year and a half or two years ago, maybe. And then what the team did and the NFL did, the team first hired a lawyer named Beth Wilkinson to come and investigate. And they said she was going to have full control. She could do whatever she wanted. And uh, very quickly after that, when when Snyder was uh, tampering and intimidating witnesses, the NFL took over control of the Wilkinson investigation. So then she began uh, to report to the NFL. And uh, when she completed her her investigation, allegedly she did not produce a report. And I say allegedly because the. Uh, 106.7, the fan sports radio show in D.C., the sports junkies, they ended up with part of a written report that indicated that her recommendation was that the owner had to be terminated. And the NFL tried to, to crush it. Nothing really came of it. Next thing you know, you get this whole uh, John Gruden story with the emails coming out. The emails were tied back to Bruce Allen from when he was in Washington. And the whole story reignites again. Well, at this uh, roundtable last week, um, the the testimony, I don't know if it's even testimony or just the discussion points, I don't know if anyone was un under oath, of Dan Snyder was just atrocious. I mean, not only did he look and take a blind eye towards the bad things that were happening in his organization and his workplace that he is the leader of, but he was... Boy, I mean, there's allegations in there of, of 
sexual assault and, and, and misconduct. And this all came out in Congress uh, this week. Um, it, it's I'm just not sure how much worse this can get for Dan Snyder at this point with former employees talking about corroborating this thing with the video of the of the uh, of the Washington dance team and cheerleaders uh, with allegations of a time where he tried to push a female employee into his limousine, uh, physically push her into the limousine. Um, The stories were there was a lot of them. They were detailed. A lot of them were corroborated. And, you know, I got to think that he's in a lot of trouble to to the point that we touched on earlier. When you as an owner start really embarrassing the league and I would think having congressional hearings is something the other owners aren't really interested in. You know, that's when this this boys club and it is a boys club will turn on you very quickly. Uh, This is all part of the NFL shitstorm that Roger Goodell is dealing with right now. And uh, if I was Dan Snyder, I would be very concerned about my standing with my fellow owners. It's ugly. It's really, really ugly. But I, you know, I think Dan is Teflon Dan. I don't know whether any of our punches are going to land. Anybody's anybody's punches are going to land. This guy has so many lives. It's unbelievable. I now believe that the commander's announcement on February 2nd was completely orchestrated as to the date and try to get all this glitz and marketing surrounding a new name for his franchise to kind of overshadow the testimony that he knew would come out the next day. He's just a gross, ugly dude. And I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Gross, ugly dude. The question is, and a loser and a loser. And does he have, does he have something on the other owners, which is why the owners have been so quiet against him. I'm sure they have stuff on each other. It's like mutually destruction. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's leave that behind. I am sure we will have another opportunity to punch Dan Snyder in the face. uh, So we can leave him alone for the rest of the night. Uh, house barbecue sauce. Give us a good Ted Lasso to take us out for the night. This really is. This is a feel good story that I think is what the Ted Lasso is all about. And I'm happy to say you guys won't normally be cheering for the Philadelphia Eagles, but I think on this one you will. The Eagles have a player named Anthony Harris. He's a safety on the team. And for a long time, he was on the Minnesota Vikings. And while he was with the Minnesota Vikings, he had a super fan. It was the Soap family. Uh, The Soap, Holly Soap, and her daughter, Audrey Soap, were super fans of Anthony Harris. And they would talk to him by social media saying, good luck in the game. And they would come to all of his games Well, then he joined the Eagles and the Soap family moved down to Austin, Texas. And then, sadly, uh, the daughter, Audrey Soap, who's 11 years old, in one year lost both her father and her grandfather unexpectedly. And Holly Soap, to try to cheer up her daughter, wrote to uh, Anthony Harris on social media, you know, in the off chance, I know this is kind of crazy, but is there any chance you would take my daughter to her daddy-daughter dance in middle school. Not only did Anthony Harris say yes, but he surprised Audrey. He bought her dress. He bought her shoes. 
He paid for her hair, her makeup. He showed up with a car, with a driver. He went to the dance. He danced with her, took pictures. And, you know, she said she felt like a princess the whole night. And uh, I just think it's cool when athletes do that. I mean, you know, it's she's in Austin. He's now in Philly. They're not even connected by the same team anymore, but he remembers a supportive fan. And when we hear all this ugliness that's been going on between players and fans and all this other stuff, that's just a, that's a good Ted Lasso. That's beyond yeah. cool. That's very, very really cool. good story. Even for an Eagle. That's a good story. <laughs> all right, guys, good show tonight. Uh, short and sweet. We will be back. Uh, I guess the plan is Saturday. Watch Saturday out for our Super Bowls Saturday for the Super Bowl preview show. And then the regular Monday uh, after the It'd Super Bowl, we'll try and get the uh, get the wrap up out. But uh, have a good week, everybody. And uh, we'll, we'll see you. We'll see you on Saturday. Study up Peace. on your picks. Peace. SMQBs are Brian Bandwagon Pope, who hails from Dallas, Texas, and has never met a first-place team that he didn't have a personal connection to. Michael Rooster Phelan, hailing from Richmond, and who roots for teams from New York, or is it Boston? I can't remember which it was. One or the other. Also, Patrick Milk Michler from Tampa Bay, and he is still massively in love with Tom Brady and will never get over his man crush on the GOAT. Toby House Milrod, a long-suffering sports fan, hailing from Philadelphia, whose Eagles team, mm, they're still looking for another quarterback. And I am Chris Bison Nace, hailing from Washington, District of Champions. Thanks for listening.